Yes, sir. You already know the vibes. It's the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 69. Shout out, Queens. Two niggas in the front, two niggas in the back. Four niggas riding strapping grandpa's Cadillac. Voice in my head say, fuck all these niggas. And I start thinking, I should rob all these niggas. Me and my homies, they wanna do whatever I want. They say I wanna eat this and shit. Let's ride around, find a nigga stuck on the front street. With the shines on, niggas be looking like lunch meat. I wanna put a nigga. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 69 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Denzel, a.k.a. Harry Potter, a.k.a. DeBron James, and we are back like Jordan wearing the faux five. I want to start by saying thank you. To everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaging with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all of the love and all of the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essential workers out here busting their ass still. And finally, thank you to all the people who are out here continuously using their voices to affect change in a positive way. We always, 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 always have to start the shows with the thank yous because the thank yous are very, very, very important. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Podcast merchandise available for purchase. You can visit the website bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com, B-R-O-N-X-B-I-A-S-P-O-D-dot-M-Y-S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com, bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com. Come check it out. Come fuck with me. I got hoodies on there. I got t-shirts. I got tote bags. I got COVID masks and I got stickers with much, 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 much more to come. The podcast is very, very, very dependent on your guys' support. Beyond the listening to the show, I truly, truly appreciate every listener that I get, but the merch is also very, very, very vital. I'm an independent potter from the BXNY, and all the support that I can be that I can get from you guys who are out here listening is very, very impactful and it helps to keep the podcast going the way it is, you know, as independently run by myself. So um, if you guys really like the show, and if you can, I understand everyone's situations are not the same. So if you are a fan of the show and if you can, 
I strongly, strongly encourage purchasing some of the merchandise just to help keep the podcast going that the way that it is. But with all of that being said, we are going to have a great, 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 great show today. Fully, fully, fully packed. And I'm in an amazing mood. I'm in a tremendous mood and I am ready to go. So let's get it. I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing, 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 amazing song by a New York legend. New York City rap legend. It is called I Whip Your Head Boy by 50 Cent and Young Buck off of the soundtrack to the movie Get Rich or Die Trying. And man, what could you, 50 Cent, man, is like... If I could think about 50 Cent just for a few seconds and how could I describe him? There was no one, I believe, in the history of hip hop music, maybe other than Snoop and maybe uh, who else? I think Snoop is probably the only one who like burst onto the scene. Maybe Ice Cube, Ice Cube 2, who just burst onto the scene and took over like who was just a new artist with new energy and just took everything over. When 50 Cent came out in 2003 with Get Rich or Die Trying, 50 Cent and G-Unit was the hottest thing across the United States and the world. I had never in my experience or just listening to hip-hop music seen an artist come out and just take everything over just off their first album. 50 Cent was a force beyond words, bro. Like I remember all the kids in school wanted to wear those ugly G-Unit tank tops, we was wearing them trash-ass G-Unit shirts. We had them ugly-ass G-Unit sneakers. We just wanted to be involved with 50 Cent because 50 Cent was a force, bro. Like, And I feel like I really only could compare him to Snoop, but he's kind of different than Snoop and Cube and Ice Cube because Ice Cube, remember, started NWA. He was backed by the clique. Snoop Dogg's first foray into the rap game was on Dr. Dre's The Chronic. But just off a solo album coming out, and you taking over the fucking world, 50 Cent is it, man. New York's own. New York's own. I contend that New York City is just New York in general, not just New York City, but New York has the best hip-hop artists in, in the world. Like, we could put New York against any other state, and New York will win. 50 Cent, bro, Wangsta, um, uh, uh, in the club, what? Many men. Like 50 Cent on just get Richard or die trying. Hold on. Let me get the track list real quick. Let me just show you what 50 Cent burst onto the scene with, with get Richard or die trying. Like, first of all, that's just the most amazing name for an album. Get rich or die trying. 50 Cent's first album. I'm going to read you the track list. What up gangsta? Patiently waiting featuring Eminem. Many men in the club. High all the time. Heat. If I can't, Bloodhound, Back Down, P-I-M-P, Like My Style, Poor Little Rich, 21 Questions, Don't Push Me, Gotta Make It to Heaven, Wangsta, You Not Like Me, and Your Life Is On The Line. That is 19 tracks, or 18 tracks, because the first track is an intro, of Straight Heat, bro. 50 Cent's first album was just Straight Heat, Heat, and then his second album called The Massacre was still pretty good. Gatman and Robin, Candy Shop, uh, Disco Inferno, and even the third album, Curtis, AO Technology, I Get Money, 
And then the G Unit album called Beg for Mercy, like, bro, 50 Cent was the fucking man, bro. Shout out to 50 Cent. Now he's, you know, in his mogul bag. You know, he got the vodka, he got the headphones, he's got his uh, vitamin water, of course, and then he had, he's got power, you know, the stars uh, TV show Power. Now they got the spinoff called Raising Canaan and Power Book Part Two. He also got the ABC show called For Life about the lawyer. Like, 50 Cent is the man. He's the man. And he's New York's own. So shout out to 50 Cent, man. Great way to intro the song, to intro the show for today. I love 50 Cent so much. He's New York's finest. And shout out to 50 Cent and the entire G-Unit click. Now it is time for my favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast. It is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, Bronx Facts is the segment I like to do at the beginning of each show, just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York, that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York. So, without any further ado, your Bronx Fact for today is author Edgar Allan Poe. Best known for poetry and short stories such as The Raven and The Telltale Heart, spent some of the last years of his life in the Bronx at Poe Cottage, which is now located at Kingsbridge Road and Grand Concourse. Poe moved to the Bronx to escape from the Manhattan City air and crowding, with hope that the then rural area will be beneficial for his wife's tuberculosis. It was in the Bronx that Poe wrote one of his famous works called Annabelle Lee. Poe Cottage is now a part of the Bronx Historical Society and is a local museum. And that is your Bronx fact for episode number 69. Yes! Yes! Damn, son, where'd you find this? All right, so we're getting right to the shits today. Our top topic for this week is about the olympics uh the summer olympics has just resumed in in tokyo japan it was supposed to be scheduled for last year 2020 but of course due to the covid pandemic it was postponed and has been resumed now in 2021 but beyond just the olympics and the extreme athletic achievements of all these athletes um, I want to talk about one of the biggest stars in the Olympics and what has recently transpired over the last week involving Simone Biles. For people who do not know Simone Biles, Simone Biles is a gymnast um, originally from Texas, uh, a female gymnast originally from Texas, and she is one of the most decorated gymnasts in the entire history of, of Olympic gymnastics. One of the most decorated, okay, one of the most dominant gymnasts in the history of the sport of gymnastics. Just a bit of her credentials. Um, she is currently 24 years old and she has a combined total of 30 Olympic and World Championship medals. OK, in the Olympic Games, she has four gold medals, one bronze, one silver. In the World Championship, she has 19 gold medals, two silver uh, sorry, three silver and three bronze at the Pacific Rim Championships. She has two golds. And at the FIG All-Around uh, World Cup, she has two golds and one silver. This is one of the greatest gymnastic athletes of all time. 
This is not your pick of the litter random gymnast or, you know, something like that. This is like the top of the top, the cream of the crop. Okay. I didn't mean to rhyme, but I did. And like, this is that's just, just to set the stage I'm trying to set for you. Like, this is not just any, you know, pick of the litter gymnast. This is like the cream of the crop gymnast. This is one of the most elite performers that the sport has ever seen. And so with that, um, there was a big, you know, controversy or or big story coming out of the Tokyo Games saying that Simone Biles was pulling out of the Olympic competitions. And there was ob- there was questions to why, there was reasons why. Um, and just to sum it up the easiest way for you, she cited her mental health and her difficulties with trying to navigate and manage um, doing her gymnastic art and the pressure of the world, you know, being on her, all the eyeballs and the spotlight on her and performing under these circumstances. You know, these are sort of unprecedented circumstances for competition, given that the games were postponed for one year and now they're still being held under the COVID restrictions. So I wanted to read a little bit uh, about it um, from an article from NPR and then we'll go from there. So the article for this story reads, Simone Biles got the twisties at the Tokyo Olympics and here's what that means. At the Women's Summer Olympic Gymnastic Games, the winner was not Simone Biles. The title and gold medal went to Sinesia Lee of the U.S. Biles' absence hung over one of the most anticipated events at the Games, an event she won at the Rio de Janeiro Olympics in 2016. Biles withdrew after first dropping out of the women's team finals while it was underway earlier this week, citing mental health challenges. She has acknowledged that she is suffering from a phenomenon known as the twisties. In her one, perhaps only finals Olympic, uh, in her one and perhaps only finals performance of these Olympic Games, Biles launched herself into a vault that once airborne would require two and a half twists of her body. And as she recounted afterwards, it did not work. She says, quote, I was trying to do a two and a half and ended up doing a one and a half. I just got a bit lost in the air. After Biles withdrew from the team final on Sunday, she acknowledged to reporters that she was having a little bit of the twisties and that she's had them before. She told Olympics.com that at the beginning of 2019, she forgot how to twist and flip. A teammate from the 2016 Olympics, Laurie Hernandez, called the twisties very painful. She says, quote, hated it so much, adding it actively makes you feel like you're not the caliber of athlete that you are. Stress can be a trigger. Biles has talked about having the, quote, weight of the world on her shoulders. And when she came into these games as the preeminent star, someone so dominant that everyone else would be competing for second. In the aftermath of Biles' ordeal in Tokyo, a former gymnast named Catherine Burns posted a long Twitter thread describing the twisties. And of course, it got the predictable trolls calling Biles a quitter and soft. Now, the twisties is something I never really heard of. And to be honest, I'm not really the biggest... I I should rephrase. I'm not super, super knowledgeable in gymnastics. I really only watch it when the Olympics come around. So that's every four years. And I know that gymnastics is a sport that you have to start very young. Remember, Simone Biles is only 24 years old. 
most of these gymnasts are in their early teens, 15, 16, 17, 18, because that is when the body is able to withstand all the punishment that gymnastics requires. And so, you know, when I hear these terms like the twisties and all these other things being lost in the air, obviously I don't know what that means. So I researched Catherine Burns so I could get up more knowledge on what the twisties are because me, like I'd imagine a large portion of the population, is not super familiar with all the ins and outs of gymnastics like we are with football or like we are with basketball or baseball. So this is from Kathleen Burns' Twitter account. Um, and if you want to read this yourself, her at name on Twitter is Witty Name Choice. So if you want to read it for yourself, you can. Um, and I'm going to read you uh, the Twitter thread that she posted just to explain what the twisties are, because this is just a, tr- a term that I'd really never heard before. So I'm going to read it for you. She starts with, hi, your friendly neighborhood former gymnast and diver here to attempt to explain the mental phenomenon Simone Biles is facing, the dreaded twisties. When you're flipping and twisting or both, it is very disorienting to the human brain. When training new flips and twists, you need external cues to learn how it feels to complete the trick correctly. And you out, I'm sorry, to to complete the trick correctly and diving a coach yells out and you kick your body straight and pray. Once you've practiced the trick enough, you develop the neural pathways that create kinesthesia, which leads to muscle memory. Your brain remembers how your body feels doing the trick and you gain air awareness. Think about something you took a while to learn and the required and required a lot of concentration and time to get it right. Now is a second, but now is second nature, like driving a car. Suddenly, for example, in the middle of driving on the freeway, right as you need to complete a tricky merge, you have totally lost the muscle memory of how to drive. You have to focus on making your foot press the pedal at the right angle, turning the steering wheel and shifting the gears. It's terrifying because you're moving way too fast. You're totally lost and you're trying to think, but you usually don't have to think to do these maneuvers. You feel them and do them. The twisties are like this and often under pressure and often happen under pressure. You're working so hard to get it right that you stop trusting your muscle memory. You're getting lost in the air and second guessing your instincts, overthinking every movement. It is not only scary and unnerving, it is incredibly dangerous even if you're doing basic gymnastics. The level of skill Simone throws combined with her height and power she gets can lead to a catastrophic injury if you're not confident and connected to your kinesthesia. This is not as easy a fix of just sleeping it off and hoping for a better day tomorrow. It can look like retraining entire routines and tricks. For example, I never mastered my front one and a half with a full twist because I'd get the twisties and it would mess with my other twisting dives. So when when Simone says she's taking it day by day, this is why. She is not soft. She did not choke. She is not giving up. It is a phenomenon every gymnast and diver has experienced, and she happens to be experiencing it at the Olympics. Could you imagine the frustration and the heartbreak? I'll also add that Simone Biles choosing to bow out pushes against a dark narrative in gymnastics that you sacrifice yourself for the sake of the sport. You are a product of your coaches and you owe them wins no matter the personal cost. No, you do not owe anyone anything. You especially do not owe them your body. 
your health, or your autonomy. And I hope every single tiny baby gymnast got that message on self-advocacy and setting boundaries loud and clear. Thank you, Simone Biles. So I thought that was extremely, extremely like thoughtful and explained the situation extremely well because as someone who just doesn't know anything about gymnastics, that's like, oh, wow, like I didn't even understand all these things that have to go into it. And I try to apply it to my own experience. I do this podcast, you know, every week. I've been doing it for 69 weeks. This is my 69th episode. And there are certain things in the pod and thing in the pod game that I just do naturally, where it's certain things I don't have to write down that I kind of memorize. I memorize my intro. I memorize my outro. I memorize, you know, certain things that I say. And I don't think about it. I just, you know, get the mic, I plug it in, I press record, and I'm ready to go. For certain aspects of the show, it's not written down. It's not a formula. It's just going off of my natural or developed ability. So if, for example, I get the mic one day and I completely forget my intro or I completely forget how to transition topics or I completely forget the answers to the questions from the listeners or I completely forget how I want to break down a, 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 a certain topic, it would make my job especially harder. And now imagine I have to do, I'm experiencing all of that shit with my podcast and now I'm sitting and doing a show in front of, let's say 50,000 people and millions watching on television. That would be extremely difficult. So, you know, Twitter, in my opinion, is good and bad. And the bad is people with no context, with no information, with no regard for other humans say some of the nastiest shit in the world with like no context, with no real understanding. They just want to have an opinion because they can have an opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes the shit that you think you could just keep it to yourself. If you're a person out there and you've never competed in gymnastics, you have no right or bearing to say that Simone Biles is a quitter. If you're a person out there and you have competed in gymnastics, but you haven't done everything that Simone Biles has done in gymnastics, you have no right to say anything on what she's doing. She has achieved things and accomplished things that is not done every day. This is why she's at the Olympics. This is why this is a story, because she is an extremely talented athlete. You sitting at your computer talking shit, you haven't done anything. Like you got to we got to start putting ourselves in other people's shoes. We got to start thinking about how things affect others and especially athletes. People just look at them as entertainers. You have to understand that these people are performing under immense circumstances and pressure. You have to understand that these people are not everyday people. You know, basketball players who grow to seven feet tall is not something you see every day. Think about your daily life. How many times have you seen someone who was, forget seven feet, have you seen someone who was six foot five? How many times have you seen that in your life? Think about that. Like these are not everyday people. The amount of body control, mental toughness, physical toughness that it takes to be a gymnast and then to be a gymnast on her level because she's on a different level is something that cannot be taken for granted. We consume these things as entertainment, so we start to forget that these are actual human beings with thoughts, 
feelings, emotions, and mental health troubles, especially when you've been in the spotlight for as long as she has performed as many times as she has performed. If she's telling you she's lost in the air, you should take that as gospel because she is someone who knows how to contort her body like no one else has in the history of the world. And that is like one of my biggest pet peeves about Twitter and social media. Any idiot with an internet connection can just say some of the nastiest, like without context, disrespectful, short-sighted things because they can. Like not because it's rooted in fact, not because they're trying to be empathetic. They're just saying the bullshit because they can. They want to get the clout. They want to get the clicks. And this shit is like super nasty. I want to like one day just where technology is like advanced enough where someone says something stupid on Twitter or something stupid on social media, them automatically get transported to whatever they're talking about and forced to be put in the same situation that they're talking about. Like if you're watching a basketball game and someone misses a game-winning shot, someone gets on Twitter and says, oh, you fucking dummy, you're trash, you're whack, you lost me money. I would want then the phone to like light up and then transport them and put them in that situation and see how they fare. Because I feel like unless you experience the shit yourself, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You can't talk about niggas in the NBA when the best you ever played was high school basketball. You can't talk about motherfuckers who are Olympic gymnasts when you've never done gymnastics and don't even understand the sport. You can't talk about niggas in football dropping touchdowns when you've never played football. When you've never even dreamed or sniffed the NFL. And I just think it's like complete bullshit. Like, I just think that this shit is so trash. Like, the amount of empathy that is not had for people, especially people who have proven themselves to be excellent. Like, this is not an unproven person. This is a person who's excellent, like, at her at her job. How many of you idiots on Twitter are excellent at your jobs? How many of you niggas on Twitter are excellent in your professions? How many of you niggas on Twitter are worth a damn at anything? But then you feel so entitled and you feel like you can tell someone who is excellent at something that she's a quitter. That she's not tough enough. That she needs to suck it up. Where do you niggas get off, bro? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know at all. But it's like damn, bro, like, I wish technology gets to a point where, you know, you say something real stupid, real short-sighted, real nasty, or even racially motivated, and you just automatically get transported and put in that same exact situation. Like, if someone misses a game-winning shot again, you automatically get transported into that stage, and you get put on the basketball court with the basketball in your hands with five seconds left, and you have to make the shot. Just so... You could get that feeling and have more empathy for these people because these people are not everyday people, bro. And if they were, they would not be in these positions. They don't just give out gold medals. They don't just give out world championship titles. Gymnastics is not something that everyday niggas can do. It's ridiculous to me. It's ridiculous. So um, what I want to do is play, play you a small clip from Simone Biles herself describing what she was going through, how she is hand, how she has handled the situation, and why she felt it was best for her not to continue to compete given all of these circumstances. So this is Simone Biles at the Tokyo Olympics. 
No, um, no injury, thankfully. And that's why I took a step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. So I thought it was best if these girls took over and did the rest of the job, which they absolutely did. They're Olympic silver medalists now, and they should be really proud of themselves for how well they did last minute having to go in. Um, and it's been really stressful this Olympic Games. I think just as a whole, um, not having an audience, there are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, so just a lot of different variables. And I think we're just a little bit too stressed out. Um, but we should be out here having fun. And sometimes that's not the case. I just felt like it would be a little bit better to take a back seat, uh, work on my mindfulness and i knew that the girls would do an absolutely great job and i didn't want to risk the team a medal for uh kind of my screw-ups because they've worked way too hard for that so i just decided that the, those girls need to go in and do the rest of the competition yeah we're gonna take it a day at a time i know tomorrow that we have um a half day or at least the morning off um so it'll be a good mental rest and so we'll take it from there struggling with men mental health issues yeah, I say um, put mental health first because if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are rather than just battle through it. And so, like, I just, I just think, like, you know, we got to really evaluate how we treat these excellent people when they don't do things that we expect them to do. Like the pressure of being in any spotlight, in any forefront, in any field is more than the average person. If you're sitting at home and you haven't accomplished the things that this person has accomplished or whomever that you're speaking about, whether it's an athlete or whether it's a, a actor or an actress or you know, just in any scenario where you're not up to snuff, which most of us are not, because that's why they're in these positions and we are not. The reason that I'm doing a podcast and I'm not in the NBA is because I am not that level of special in that field. Duh. So you have to take it into consideration and you have to be more mindful of the shit that you're saying to these people who are still people. They're not in the fucking zoo. They're not, you know, circus animals. These are real people with brains and feelings and emotions who also just happen to be super, super excellent at their craft so you know idiots on twitter man you guys gotta relax bro you guys gotta relax and i wish that something could happen where you know either even if you not don't have to be put in that position where you have to say it to their face like you know like it's so easy to talk shit on twitter because you're just an avatar with a funny handle but like let simone even simone biles and who is uh very small in stature let her let you come and say it to her fucking face that she's a quitter and that she ain't shit. Like say it to her face. You wouldn't even do it. You wouldn't even do it, bro. So, hey man, shout out to the Queen Simone Biles. Shout out to the, also the Queen Naomi Osaka who has cited the same reasons for like not attending Wimbledon and not attend, attempting other tennis tournaments. Like I just appreciate these people who are strong enough and brave enough to say, "Listen, my mind isn't right." And I cannot perform and I should not be expected to perform under these circumstances if I am not mentally there. The mind controls the body. You can't do anything without the mind. So shout out and big love to all these 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 people in athletics who are just realizing the impact and the importance 
of taking their mental health more seriously and fuck all these idiots who don't know shit and just want to talk shit and that's all i got so big love and shout out to simone biles and wish her the best for one of the greatest gymnasts that we have ever seen in the history of gymnastics and that's all i got on it so while y'all at it right now take care of y'all bodies you know what i mean don't take care of y'all chicken you feel me don't take care of y'all mentals because look we ain't lasting that long uh, you know i had a couple players that i played with that you know what i mean they no longer here no more they no longer so i mean you feel me start taking care of y'all mentals y'all bodies and y'all chicken and when y'all you know ready to walk away walk away and you'll be able to do what you want to do but i appreciate it thank y'all that of course was one of the most intelligent brothers in the history of the world marshawn lynch just telling y'all to take care of y'all mentals take care of y'all bodies and take care of y'all chicken because facts you need to do all of those things you just need to do all of those things shout out to marshawn lynch and so moving right along you guys can follow me and hit me up on instagram and twitter at rogers neighborhood instagram is r-o-d-g-e-r-s-n-e-i-g-h-b-o-r-h-o-o-d twitter is the exact same except there are no vowels in neighborhood on twitter and i'm saying this and repeating it for the one millionth time because i ask you guys weekly to send in comments questions concerns feedback constructive criticism whatever you have for me and you guys never let me down and i truly truly appreciate it all the love and the support so i'm gonna answer some of the questions that i have received here the first one says <laughs> this is funny if the devil was a driver what car do you think that he would drive that's a good question that's something that you don't even think about every day if the devil was a driver what car would he drive man i feel like dang i feel like it would be like maybe like an old school car or hmm man i i feel like he would drive like a like a 66 chevy like an old school car like a, a old school ford right like a or like an old school benz like just like an old classic type car or like, or even, you know what's funny? No, I'm going to change my answer. I think that if the devil was to drive a car, I think that the devil would drive like the most costly, inefficient, wasteful car ever just because he don't give a fuck. So I feel like the devil would drive like a Hummer, like a Hummer one. You know what I'm saying? That just this big monstrosity of a truck that took two parking spaces that got like five miles a gallon like just this big ugly just super inefficient wasteful car going to the gas station and getting 93 in that shit you know what i'm saying like that is the kind of car i think that the devil would drive just this most just completely bogarting type car that you can't like you go to the parking lot and it's a crowded parking lot you can't even get a space because his car takes up two spaces and it only gets five miles of the gallon so it's very harmful for the environment so, yes, I think that if the devil drove a car, he would drive a fucking Hummer just because he don't give a fuck about nothing. He don't give a fuck. So, yes, I think that, that's a great creative question, man. That is a creative ass question. That is a creative question. If the devil was a driver, what kind of car would he drive? <laughs> yes, that's my answer. A Hummer. 
If the devil was a driver, he would drive a Hummer. The next question I have for you says, what are some fun and interesting alternatives to war that countries could settle their differences with? Wow. Look at y'all. Creative ass questions. What are some fun and interesting alternatives to war that countries could settle their differences with? I'm going to, you know what I'm going to say? I think this is kind of funny. I think that not only it should no soldiers, no, like we're not even settling the differences with soldiers. I think that world leaders who are having like problems with each other and stuff and want to go to war over like land or oil or whatever countries go to war over, it should be like a dance battle. Like you got served. I don't know if you guys remember you got served. Basically, it was Omarion, Marcus Houston, B2K, and it was a movie about dance battling. And that is what they should do. Like, if the U.S. wants to go to war with a, I'm making it up the country, but if the U.S. wants to go to war with, like, China over something, over something that we can't agree on, it should be the leader of China, who I don't know the name of right now, so forgive me, but it should be the leader of China versus Joe Biden, and they should have a dance battle, like a you got served dance battle. And we should have, like, Randy Jackson and Simon Cowell, Paul Abdul, like old school American idol judges, be the determinant to see who wins. Because then nobody gets hurt, you know, like no one dies, there's no debt that countries have to incur. You just go to the meeting place, maybe the UN, and you put on your favorite beat, and you have a two-minute routine or three-minute routine. You do a dance battle, and the winner of the battle wins the conflict. I think that would be so one. I think that would be fucking hilarious, number one. And I think that is just like better. Like we shouldn't have to send our 18-year-old, 19-year-old young people, men and women, overseas to countries with guns and heavy artillery and bombs and tanks and all that shit just because we don't agree on something. You know what I'm saying? If it can't, like I shouldn't, if I'm a parent worried that my kid gets drafted and has to go to an overseas nation and potentially could lose their life, you know, that's... That's terrible. Or when you come back from war, you're so traumatized from what happens. You have PTSD and then you start abusing drugs, alcohol, prescription medication, all these things. And it's just for something that these world leaders just sit in their offices and make these demands. Like if you motherfuckers got beef, y'all niggas got beef or beef in between countries, the leaders of the country should go and dance it out and the winner wins the conflict. That is my creative solution. That is my creative solution. So that's a great question too. That's you guys are on the on the money today, man. <laughs> that was a great question. I love that. And the last question I have for you guys today says, "What is something that is really popular now, but in five years everyone will look back and be embarrassed by?" Um, easily it's this TikTok craze. It's easily, easily some of these dances, and I'm not saying it as a hater because I can't dance and I really cannot. Um, but some of these shits are really ridiculous. Like, you know, I don't know the names of the dances, so please forgive me for not knowing them. But like, you know, bitch Corvette Corvette and all these dances and shit. They're stupid. They're just stupid. They're stupid. Some of the voiceover stuff is funny. Like putting yourself in a random situation and using an old school voiceover for it. That's funny. But like these dances are really dumb to me. Like they're dumb. And I think that, you know, if you're 16, 17, 18, yeah, you're a kid. You're, you're just trying to have fun on the internet. But, like, take those same people or even these grown-ass people who are doing it. Take these same people and let the world go for five years and make them watch all of their dances. They, I feel like 
it's going to be super cringy, super cringy. So I'm not saying this as a hater just because I can't dance, which I cannot. But I feel like in the next five years, you're going to be like, damn, this shit is terrible. Like, even if you get like an old photo of yourself from like five years ago or 10 years ago, you're going to be like, damn, I look like this. I dressed like this. So I feel like it's the same thing for TikTok. Like once the craze of it goes away or once it dies down a little bit, people are going to be looking at themselves from, you know, five years in the future, going to be looking at themselves five years ago. And they're going to be like, damn, what the fuck was I doing, bro? Quarantine was kicking my ass because I'm out here looking like an idiot. So that is my answer. In five years, people are going to look back and be embarrassed by these stupid ass TikTok dances. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for the questions. Thank you guys for the love. Thank you guys for the support. I truly, truly, truly appreciate it. And I sincerely look forward to answering more and more and more and more and more of you guys' questions. Thank you guys so much for all the love and for all of the support. Next on the docket, I have a story about terrible hygiene, about why you shouldn't hang around everybody, why it doesn't matter how much money you got in your pocket, you can still be nasty. And this is just another example of caucasity the long-going series that I like to do on this podcast, showing you the audacity of the Caucasian people. This story I'm going to read to you is from Complex.com. The headline reads, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis claim they only bathe their kids if they can see dirt on them. My mother's response for every out-of-pocket thing that's ever happened in this world is, White people are crazy. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis have opened up about their bathing habits, and they seem to keep their kids on a similar schedule. The actor duo appeared on a recent episode of Dak Shepard and Monica Padman's Armchair Expert podcast, where the friendly conversation turned into self-care. That's when Dax insisted his co-host should not be getting rid of the natural oil on your skin with a bar of soap every day. I didn't have hot water growing up as a child, so I didn't shower much anyway. Kunis added to the conversation. But when I had children, I also did not wash them every day. I wasn't the parent that bathed my newborns ever. Dax revealed that he and his wife, Kristen Bell, used to bathe their kids routinely each day, at least until they got to a certain age. Kunis agreed that that was the way to do things. Now, here's the thing. If you can see dirt on them, clean them. Otherwise, there is no point. Kutcher shared. As People notes, the Academy of Dermatology Association shares that children aged 6 to 11 should be bathed once or twice a week. Both Kutcher and Kunis said they also avoid using soap on their entire bodies each day they hop in the shower. Kutcher says, I wash my armpits and crotch daily and nothing else ever. I've got a bar of Lever 2000 that delivers every time. Nothing else. Now, I was taught as a young man, as a, as a child, that one, you cannot hang around everybody. Two, you cannot go to everybody's house. And three, you damn sure can't eat at everybody's house. And this is the fucking reason why. 
These niggas are disgusting. These are some nasty ass niggas. Like, what the fuck is this? This is caucasity to the second or third power. Not only are we not bathing ourselves, we're not bathing our children. So y'all niggas is just walking around stank. For what? She said, now, of course, she uh, said that she didn't have much hot water growing up. Mila Kunis said that. And so I understand if you're dealing in an impoverished situation, sometimes you have to take, you know, certain liberties. You have to sacrifice certain things. But in this situation, Ashton, Kun- Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis have been rich for a long ass time, a long time. And not only are they not bathing themselves. Think about this. They're not bathing themselves. They're not bathing their children either. We have just gone through one of the most horrible years with the 2020 and the COVID pandemic. Hygiene as it, it, hygiene is at a premium. It is very imperative that you not only wash your ass, but you wash your kids' asses. These are some different breeds out here, bro. These are some different breeds. This is some nasty ass shit. This is disgusting ass shit that these niggas are not washing themselves. This is some nasty ass shit. And listen, I don't have all the money, the fame, the success that Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis have along with Dax Shepard and whomever else they were speaking with on this podcast. But there is no way that Denzel is not going to go a day without washing his nasty ass because it is. We are all disgusting people. The human body is nasty. We sweat. We stink. Our armpits stink. Our crotch stinks. We get dirt on our skin. We speak with others in the street. We have germs and bacteria that grow on our bodies, and we need to wash them. This is a public service announcement for all white people and black people who do not wash their asses. You need to wash your nasty ass. There is no way that you can be a grown ass person and are out here on uh, Jeff Bezos's internet saying that you do not wash your ass. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And this is of the utmost caucasity. I don't even have to hear another caucasity story for the rest of the year. I already know that this is the caucasity of the year. Two rich ass motherfuckers. Ashton Kutcher has made more money now being that he's into investing and creating apps and being in Silicon Valley than he has ever made in his life. And he has been rich for a long ass time. You mean to tell me them two niggas was on the set of that 70s show smelling like all hell, smelling like the zoo. Are you fucking kidding me? This is ridiculous and nasty. This is easily the front runner for caucasity of the year. And my public service announcement to all the people out here listening, wash your nasty ass. Wash your ass daily, please and Thank you. It's no secret that I get disgusted by a lot of things. I'm very disgusted, to be quite honest with you. I'm just so disgusted. I can't tell you how disgusted I am. I'm disgusted with him right now. I'm so disgusted. I'm disgusted with it. I'm so disgusted. I'm so damn disgusted. 
I'm just disgusted. Oh, I'm just, I'm just trying to be cool. Next on the docket, we have to talk about our good brother, Kanye West, and now where he decides to call home. Um, this article is from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Reports have emerged over the weekend that Kanye West is living in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Overnight, the rapper seemed to have confirmed that he had been staying in the downtown Atlanta facility with an Instagram post. Now, before I continue to read this, at first, because I do follow Kanye on Instagram, I saw a picture of him. No, it wasn't on Instagram. I think it was on Twitter. It was after the listening party. Of course, they delayed the album, which is typical Kanye. But then he was like at the stadium frequently. And he was like seen at a, like a soccer game and stuff like that. And then I saw a picture of a room that he took a picture in. Like it was just a room, an empty room. So when I heard that he was living in the stadium, first I thought this was some fly ass shit. I said, damn, this nigga is not only like one of the greatest musical artists of this generation, but he is just fly, like to live inside of a football stadium. But then when I realized that he was staying in a tiny ass room in the stadium and the picture that I saw on the gram was of how he was living, I said, this nigga is beyond wild this is this but even though he's beyond wild i have a feeling that this is going to be a really really good album but let me continue to read west posted a photo of a locker room with a single bed weights shoes and an open suitcase inside the photo had no caption as is the case with the other seven photos on his profile Sources told TMZ over the weekend that West is still at the stadium following last week's sold-out Donda listening party. Since then, West has yet to release the album after his late mother. Rolling Stone reported that the release date on the album is August the 6th. I'll believe it when I see it. Facts. Quote, Kanye and his team have created a studio space, living quarters, and even have a chef to prepare for his meals inside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. CBS 46 cited sources who said West negotiated an agreement to remain at the stadium for at least two weeks. Heather Sauter, the stadium's director of corporate and marketing communications, told the news station that there have been no major issues with West staying at the facility. She said officials did have to come up with a workaround for West with this with this past Saturday's Atlanta United game. Sources told CBS 46 that Columbus crew was unable to use the normal visitors locker room due to West staying there. Sauter confirmed did not confirm that there was a change in locker rooms. However, West was also seen at the game at the July 24th Atlanta United game. Footage showed the rapper being escorted to the seats by security and an email to the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Sauter said we are not at liberty to give out details out of respect for the artist's privacy. He is staying at the stadium while he works on his album Kanye West is gonna drop a bomb album I believe this in my heart whenever it comes out August 6th is the, the new date I be will believe it when I can hear it that it does come out on August 6th I have no idea this guy is one of the most erratic personalities in the history of the world but I do firmly believe that this album is going to be great because, you know, the old adages when an out when a hip hop artist especially is in album mode, they start to care a little bit less about their appearance. They start to be so lazily focused on making the music, creating the art that a lot of their physical 
uh, traits that you're used to seeing suffer. So, you know, they don't get haircuts. They let their beards grow to, you know, grisly levels. They wear bad clothes. They sleep at the studio. They don't take really good care of themselves on a appearance standpoint. And so with this, with the photo I saw, it looked like Kanye West was in jail. I swear to God, it looked like he was in jail. It was a it was a single bed. It was a twin bed. It was placed up against the corner. He had a television, a clock, some weights, some clothes, and a suitcase. And that was it in the room. And I was like, this nigga Kanye then put himself in jail. And if he's doing all of that, I feel like this album is going to be really good. I really believe this. So this guy's as erratic as they come. And sometimes the great artists of this generation are different types of thinkers, different types of people, right? You can't make music the way that Kanye has and not be off some kind of way. So for him, this is probably probably the most inspired he's been in a long time. I firmly believe that Jesus is King, although it's about religious beliefs, was mid. I believe that Ye was mid. Okay, so he has some work to do. And I do believe that him and Mike Dean and whomever else is with him are doing their damnedest and working their hardest to create a really good quality album, something that is on his level because he is one of the greatest of this generation. So if he needs to lock himself up in his version of jail, which is inside of a football stadium, be my guest, because I do believe now seeing this. This man is in another zone. This man is in another level creatively. And we're going to get some fire shit. So it's crazy. And Kanye's a wild guy. He is. He's a wild guy. He's my favorite hip hop musician ever. I swear he is. Just because of the way his music has impacted me and, and the way I love just hearing him. I see. I had a chance to see him live for the Yeezus tour. And, you know, he's just amazing in a lot of things that he does. And but, you know, this is on par for Kanye. You know, he is an artist in every sense of the word. He does not do things traditionally. He does not believe in convention. He does things how based off his feeling, off his, you know, his his mental state at the time. And he is one of the greats. And this is one of the reasons when we hear Donda, when it finally drops, I do not I don't know if it's going to drop on. August the 6th, well, I believe it when I be able to hear it, but I just believe that all the work that he's putting into this album, just how much he's sacrificing, I think this is going to be some good shit. So shout out to our good brother Kanye West and the lengths that he is going to to create a musical experience for us, and I don't even know that we deserve all of it. Shout out to our good brother Kanye West. <laughs> Last on the docket, I want to give out a special award. We have just given out the Caucasity of the Year Award to Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. I do not believe that there will be another Caucasity story on that level, so I'm calling it today. Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher win the Caucasity of the Year Award for not washing their asses and being proud to talk about it. That is disgusting. But I want to give out another award today. And it is a award that is given out usually to black excellence or realness from a black elite someone being just real on every level you know being real just telling the truth standing on their square like my mama say stand on your square that means be firm um and the award recipient is not a black person 
The award title is Real Nigga of the Year. But this is a strange circumstance because this recipient is not a black person. This recipient is very white. This recipient is not a traditional winner of this award. It's not even mixed. There's no blackness in this person whatsoever. And this recipient of this award is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not just saying that because we have the same last name and we spell it the same way. I'm saying it because Aaron Rodgers this week was the realest real nigga I've seen in the last year of 2021. The realest of the real. Basically, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers have been having difficulties, you could call it, given his his contract circumstance and given his relationship with the team. In 2020, the Green Bay Packers drafted a quarterback in the first round named Jordan Love from, the uni- from Utah State University, signaling to Aaron Rodgers that his time with the team was coming to an end. Now, he admits that he threw a wrench into their plans because last year he won the 2020 NFL MVP award, proving that not only is he still one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, that he, at his age of 37, is one of the greatest quarterbacks still currently. And him and the Green Bay Packers have been at odds since that time. Aaron Rodgers has taken this new opportunity, reporting to training camp, to air out all of his grievances, to let y'all niggas know what's really on his mind and how the Green Bay Packers have not only treated him, but other people, veterans of the organization, like dirt. And he did not hold back. He told his truth. He stood on his square. And he spit facts. So I want to present the real nigga of the war, the real nigga of the year award to our white brother, Aaron Rodgers. And I want to play you his full soliloquy on what the Green Bay Packers have done to him, what they have done to others in his position and how he feels about the entire situation. This is the 2021 Real Nigga of the Year, Aaron Rodgers. There was uh, a lot of things that transpired. This wasn't, uh, you know, a draft day uh, thing. You know, this was uh, started with a conversation in February um, that the season ended. And I just expressed, you know, my desire to be uh, more involved in conversations directly affected my job. Um, also, uh, I wanted to help the organization maybe learn from them some of the mistakes in the past, in my opinion, about the way that some of the uh, outgoing veterans were treated um, and just the fact that we didn't retain uh, a number of uh, players that I felt like were core players to our foundation, our locker room, High character guys. I'm talking about Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, James Jones, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Balaga, Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, guys who were, you know, exceptional players for us, but great locker room guys, high character guys. Many of them who weren't offered a contract at all, or were extremely lowballed, or were, you know, maybe in my opinion, not. Uh, given the respect on the way out that guys of their status and stature and high character deserved. Um, 
And then it kind of progressed from there into a commitment for the 2021 season and beyond. Uh, that really wasn't uh, given at any time. So for me, I had to assess the situation, not necessarily wanting to be a lame duck quarterback, especially after an MVP season, which I think you can understand. Um, and then the other part uh, in, in February was wanting to be a part of conversations involving free agents, uh, which has never happened in my career. Um, you know, I've, I've trained with a number of NFL guys most of my career in the off seasons. Um, my agency at the first has had a number of high draft picks over the years. Uh, I've tried to pass along information. Um, hasn't really been uh, used, shall we say. Um, so I wanted to offer my services as a recruiter, you know, uh, and I think we can all understand, you know, Green Bay isn't, uh, uh, you know, a huge vacation destination. People are coming here to play with me, uh, to play with our team and, and knowing that they can win a championship here. And the fact that I haven't been used in those discussions was one I wanted to change moving forward. And I felt like based on my years, uh, the way I can still play, that that should be a natural part of the conversation. Um, as that progressed from that point, nothing really changed on that front. Um, so we got into March and the conversation changed. Um, as I felt like, uh, if you can't come into me past 2021 and I'm not a part of recruiting process and for agency, if I'm not a part of the future, then instead of letting me be a lame duck quarterback, if you want to make a change and move forward, and go ahead and do it. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Uh, like I said, it wasn't a draft day thing. There were conversations for uh, a number of months leading up to that. Post the draft, I think what basically happened was then they said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you some, we'll give you some money now. Let's see if we can throw some money at you. I said from the start, it wasn't about the money. Um, obviously, I didn't show up for the off-season program or mini camp. To me, it was bigger than this. It was about uh, trying to be a resource for the organization that I care about and love so much. Why do you want to be involved in some of these personnel decisions? Uh, on some of these, you would have been wrong. I think the guys didn't have great years when they left here, or they got a lot of money and it ended up being cap hits. You know, or the Packers didn't decide uh, to move on from far if you wouldn't have been here either, or you, you might not be staying where you are here. Why do you want to get involved in all that? Well, I mean, I respect the question, Spoon, and I think there's a lot of hypotheticals based on different things. Um, I understand that I'm here because Ted Thompson took a shot on me, but also can't compare the two situations when you look at the last years of Favre's career uh, here based, uh, you know, comparing to mine, especially leading up to 2005, it was a different situation. When it comes to personnel stuff, it's not all personnel stuff that I'm talking about. I just want to be involved in conversations that affect my ability to do my job. And it's not all personnel. But I think I have a unique perspective of being in a locker room and having been the starter here for 13 years and being here for 16 years. There's not many people who've been in a position of influence longer than I have in this building. So it gives me a unique perspective to shed light on how things work together. Uh, one of the most important things is chemistry and cohesion in an organization. And I think I can offer an interesting perspective. It's not where I need to have final say on anything. I never asked for that. I just want to be in a conversation. 
I'm interested in how they look at certain players and if they value character, if they value chemistry, if they value what they bring to the locker room. Um, and I think, yeah, some of those guys might not have had a great seasons other places, but it's different when a Jordy Nelson has got me thrown in the ball. It's different when Randall Cobb's got me thrown in the ball. Uh, it's maybe a different motivation when some of these guys go elsewhere. You know, it, it is different to, to move to a new team. And yes, yeah, some of those decisions would have been different, but maybe bringing back a JP for, you know, $3 million in a one-year deal when he really desperately wanted to re retire as a Packer might have been a good thing to do. Maybe letting Jordy play another season here, you know, who knows what would have happened, him mentoring Tay and, and allowing him to take the mantle of the, of the number one receiver and, and how the locker room could see that humility and be inspired by it. I think that's often uh, not given enough credence is how important that is. You know, veterans leading by example, um, by their attitude, how they conduct themselves, and how they show the younger guys how to be a professional. And to me, that's worth something. Might not be worth $9 million a year, which, which Jordy was scheduled to make that season, but he was willing to take a pay cut way down. And I think it would have been worth it to keep guys like that, or Charles Woodson. You know, Charles wanted to take a pay cut as well um, to stick around, and he obviously still played at a high level when he left. He made a Pro Bowl in Oakland, and, and not to mention... 70% uh, Charles Woodson is, you know, a, an incredible player for us. Just what he brings from a leadership standpoint, from a professionalism, toughness, you know, being able to be a part of conversations like that, I feel like I have a unique perspective. Shout out to this white brother who has become the real nigga of the year. Jesus Christ. Shout out to this brother, man. Came out was honest, told the truth. These niggas do not treat older players with respect, no matter how much they have done and accomplished for the team. These niggas will throw you away like a piece of trash. And if you guys do not want to commit to me, don't think that offering me a whole bunch of money is going to keep me around. If you guys do not want to include me in the conversations, do not think I'm going to be loyal to y'all and I'm going to let y'all abuse me and treat me however you want to. Don't compare me to Brett Favre because I am not him. And if I, I demand this type of respect, you guys will not ig me. You guys will not throw me away like a gum wrapper. Facts. Shout out to this brother, Aaron Rodgers. Damn, bruh. Damn. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Die hard. I'm going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan for the rest of my life. Ben Roethlisberger is my guy. But in terms of just my favorite quarterback of all time, it is Aaron freaking Rodgers, man. Aaron freaking Rodgers. This man is unafraid to speak his mind. This man is super intelligent. And this man is a damn good quarterback. God, I I watched this shit live. Like I watched the press conference ESPN cut away from SportsCenter to show me a bit of the press conference. And then they cut it off because they can't play the whole thing. I went and found the shit on YouTube. I, it was a 35-minute press conference. I watched the entire thing. This man completely stood on his square. He spoke his mind. And he spoke the truth. Shout out and big, big, big love. To Aaron freaking Rodgers, man. Holy shit. I'm so proud to be a Rodgers today. I'm so proud to be a Rodgers. 
shout out and good for you, man. Good for you. Speak in your mind. We've seen the same thing happen with Tom Brady last year. He spent 20 years with the New England Patriots and they start they were still treating him like he was just some guy. He said, "Where is the respect? Where is it for me?" And then he jumped ship, went to Tampa Bay and won the Super Bowl. The same freaking thing. These guys, these special generational type talents and athletes are demanding more respect not only from the public but from their organizations. And I fuck with this shit so freaking heavy. So shout out to Simone Biles. Shout out to uh, uh, Naomi Osaka. Shout out to Aaron Rodgers. And shout out to Tom Brady for just demanding the respect that you have earned and that you deserve. For being excellent at your sport under immense pressure and stresses that the general public just does not know about. Big love and shout out to the 2021 Real Nigga of the Year. Aaron Rodgers. And that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 69 of the Bronx Bias Podcast is in the books. I'm your host once again. My name is Denzel. Thank you once again to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaged with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all of your love and all of your support. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Podcast merchandise available for purchase. You can visit the website bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com. I got hoodies on there. T-shirts, tote bags, COVID masks, and stickers with much, much more to come. Um, Supporting the merch is just one of the best ways to help keep this podcast going the way that it is. Again, I'm an independent potter. Um, I ain't got no deal. I ain't got no sponsorships. I, I just do this because I love to do it, and I would love to keep it going the way that it is. Um, so if you can, I understand everyone's situation is different. If you can and you feel so inclined I encourage you guys to go on there and support the merch. The products are quality material, and I sincerely appreciate every single person who has purchased merchandise from me. I truly, sincerely appreciate it. And we're going to fade you guys out today with a great, great, great song. It is called I Might Need Security by Chance the Rapper, and this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 69. Have a great week. Have a great weekend out there. Be safe. And we are out. I'm the protagonist, I don't go capping it I fly solo like one cup in the cabinet The cabin's the cabinet, they trust me at landing it They call me the advocate, they'll slide like an abacus Boy meets world, everybody been savages I just wanna really know how much a Joe shooter averages I'm not no nice guy, I'm just a good guy 
The bad guys should really stay on my good side. I smell my roses younger than the good die. The Illuminati couldn't see me with their good eye. They think they Heath Ledger scary, they just Jack Nichols. I'm assigned to my city like the bat signal. Young chosen one, golden boy, De La Hoya. It ain't too many me's, rest in peace to burn Troya. I was younger than I seemed as a kid. I mean my G17, 18 in the head. I mean I'm only 25, but I'm Motown 25. Bet I get a statue in my hometown when I die. And rhyme you done. I'm expecting resignation and open investigation on all of these paid vacations for murderers. Get no paper, I got a sign at the bottom Still in my bag like the fries at the bottom And I can't do nothing right, they gon' always be at me I miss a Crane's interview, they try leaking my Addy I donate to the schools next, they call me a deadbeat daddy The sun time's getting that rounder business I got a hit list so long, I don't know how to finish I bought the Chicago, it's just to run you racist bitches out of business Speaking of racist, fuck your microaggressions I'll make you fix your words like a typo suggestion Pat me on the back too hard and pat an axe for your job Then in unrelated news, someone to beat your ass at your job I'm the real deal Who taught all these rappers that a big deal's not a big deal? Inherited the earth popping willies on the big wheel My enemy lives in his mother's basement That's why my videos don't got no bathroom in product placement I'm a real one The honey is sweet, the apple's bitter They are trying to convince you you stronger without your woman And when you widow And tell you they kidding while Twitter trashing your litter I know the devil's a liar I know that players is quitters I heard you hire your hitters I know the higher the bitter That mean the less on return So I just hire a sitter I'm not no boss nigga, I'm a soldier Kingdom builder, man, somebody should have told you Fuck you Yeah. <laughs>